Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Joining us for today's episode of Think Humanities is Dr. Matthew Smith. A native of the United Kingdom, Dr. Smith teaches world and United States history at Miami University and serves as Director of Public Programming at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. He has published articles in numerous journals, including Ohio Valley History and the Register of the Kentucky Historical Society. His book, The Spires Still Point to Heaven, Cincinnati's Religious Landscape, 1788-1873, is under review at Temple University Press. Dr. Smith joins us today to discuss his writing, including an article in the spring issue of Kentucky Humanities Magazine titled Unbearing Daniel Boone. To read his work and the complete spring 2021 issue of Kentucky Humanities Magazine, visit kyhumanities.org. And if you aren't currently receiving our magazine, you can also join our mailing list on the website. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Smith. Welcome, Bill, and uh, thanks for this opportunity. I'm delighted to be here. It just seems like The more we know about uh, the Boone family, particularly Daniel Boone, the more questions it raises. Um, And and I wonder why, uh, after all of this time, uh, uh, in fact, it was uh, during the pandemic uh, that we celebrated his 200th anniversary, yet um, books are continuing to be written uh, discoveries are still being made. Uh, you uh, have written this article, which is fact-filled with some uh, fascinating uh, uh, areas that I, I'm, I'm sure will surprise a lot of people. Why is that? Well, um, first of all, I, I should uh, just clarify for our listeners as well, uh, the 200th anniversary of his death. So, oh, of his death, excuse me. 2020. Right. Not um, his so you're, you're not wrong. I, I just right. wanted to, to clarify that. Um, but he is uh, a, an enigmatic figure. Um, and I think, you know, he's one of these characters from history that in a way tells us more about ourselves than, than, uh, than, it, than we can ever know about him. You know, I, I, do, I do feel, um, you know, a lot of our understanding of who we are as Americans comes from, uh, you know, this is going all the way back to Frederick Jackson Turner and, and probably even beyond that, uh, from our idea of, of, you know, historical development on the frontier. Um, and to me, you know, there, there's no particular reason why Daniel Boone is as well-known today as he is. Uh, certainly he led a remarkable life, but then there were other remarkable figures on the frontier. Simon Kenton comes to, to mind who um, are well-known to historians, but maybe not as well-known to the general public. Um, so obviously Boone would, would fit into that mold, uh, maybe along with uh, Davy Crockett, who was also played uh, in, in by the, the Disney actor, uh, Fess Parker, as, as almost being sort of uh, cultural, cultural heroes. You know, this is a sort of anthropological idea um, that we can 
discover ourselves through the, um, you know, through the, through the lessons of history. Um, and, and so I, I think what, what happens with Boone is that he's mythologized at a very um, early point. I think even during his own lifetime, uh, I think it was way back in, uh, was it 1784, the discovery um, of uh, the, yeah, the title, right? The Discovery, Settlement and Present State of Kentucky, written by uh, John Filson, the, the pioneer um, historian, um, in which his interview, his, his biography of uh, Daniel Boone is, is basically appended to this, is, is essentially an immigrant's um, guide to the, the Kentucky uh, frontier at that time, in which um, Boone is, is interviewed by Daniel, uh, by John Filson and, and um, is basically used as a kind of metaphor for the backwoods philosophy of um, the early American Republic, sort of very reminiscent if you're, if you're familiar with American history of, uh, you know, the image of Benjamin Franklin in his fur cap, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the rustic philosopher. And so I think a lot of the words that were fed into the mouth of Daniel by John Filson, who was actually a, a kind of surveyor, was one of the, the, the founding surveyors of Cincinnati, as it happens, um, but was also an early settler of Kentucky, indicate, you know, this, this kind of idealization of the frontier, you know, idea uh, that curiosity is natural to the soul of man. That was my favorite Filson that was put into the, the mouth of, of Boone. I think from what we know about Boone, he was a very, you know, straightforward guy in many respects. Uh, you know, he probably would have echoed those sentiments, but that's, you know, formulated in this very sort of literary lo locution. And I think this this idea of Boone kind of giving voice to uh, the experience of colonization and settlement of the frontier, this this kind of trans mountain experience, um, but in a in a way that that's very romantic. You know, uh, Byron wrote about Boone of all people, um, and uh, very very sentimentalized. Um, again, you know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, the, the image of, you know, the, the frontiersman. You find it in, in many cultures, you know, the Australians have Ned Kelly. Uh, we have uh, Daniel Boone. Um, so I think, you know, it's something that, uh, again, he, he is actually very much more located as well in the, the real politics and the economics uh, and the, um, the actual lived experience, to use a buzzword, of, uh, you know, the, the Kentucky frontier history. And I think that explains as well why, you know, professional historians to this day, as well as the general public, remain fascinated with his, his life and times. Were Filson um, and Boone uh, close friends? Um, I think Filson would have, uh, have liked us to have imagined that to be the case. Um, but Filson uh, actually uh, kind of really knocked on the door of uh, Daniel Boone he went out of his way to find Daniel Boone, almost like today, someone with a, an autograph book. Um, and I think uh, Filson himself was uh, an interesting figure. He was an itinerant schoolmaster, um, a kind of uh, like Boone himself, kind of an entrepreneur, um, someone who was interested in surveying and settling the frontier, um, but also someone who, unlike Boone, had uh, kind of literary um, pretensions wanted to be thought of as a man of letters. Um, and so one of the great, uh, you know, kind of literary genres of that time was the, the kind of field guides, the immigrant guides for 
uh, the frontier and you find these, especially late 18th, early 19th century, a whole plethora of these books written for people who are thinking of moving west. You know, what is the climate like? What are the growing seasons? What are the natives like? Um, and so, you know, Filson was writing this very practical book on how to settle in, in Kentucky, but he also wanted it to reach um, a broader, maybe a more literary audience. So I think very cannily he, he understood um, if he could create this narrative around Boone, who was already somewhat well-known, somewhat uh, storied, um, and weave it as a kind of literary uh, narrative, kind of almost like a, a Gulliver's Travels, um, and, and include it as a, as a sort of 50-page appendix in the book, um, that it would reach a much broader audience and perhaps even an international readership. Um, so uh, I, I don't think they, they uh, were um, you know, particularly closely acquainted. I don't think there's any evidence that uh, their acquaintance ex extended significantly beyond um, the, the interview. Um, and Filson himself was, was, died four years afterwards, uh, not long after, um, suspected to have been uh, killed in a, a Shawnee ambush, although there are some speculations surrounding the, the circumstances of his, his, his death. Um, but no, I don't think they were, were particularly, I mean, I, I, I may be, you know, uh, again, this is going on what I've read, but I haven't heard that they were uh, much beyond the, the, the presentation that was in the book. Filson wrote his uh, piece as a memoir? That's correct. And and it would seem like instead of uh, maybe straight uh, history, if he was doing that, I mean, I, I don't know how many memoirs were being written at that time. It was written first person. Uh, is that sort of a uh, maybe it's just me? Is that would that kind of be an odd style for someone uh, in uh, in that period of time to to, to write? You know, I think it was in the air at the time. I think it was a sort of fashionable. Uh, literary genre, and um, I'm always reminded of the parallels uh, between Ben Franklin and, and uh, Daniel Boone, the sort of mythologization of both of their lives. Um, and of course, the most famous memoir of that period is um, actually published after, uh, so somewhat afterwards, the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Now, Franklin actually died in, in 1790. Um, and his autobiography was published under the title Autobiography after his death. And I believe it's the first uh, book to actually use the word autobiography. So if we're, if we're being historically accurate here, the word memoir would be much more accurate than autobiography. Um, but I, I do think there was a uh, tremendous public readership and appetite for uh, memoir and that style of life writing. And I think it speaks to the early American Republic, um, the fact that we were a young nation and still trying to find our voice and trying to find our heroes, whether we're talking about, you know, Benjamin Franklin in Philadelphia or Daniel Boone in the Kentucky frontier. So giving voice uh, to those, those kind of figures, um, I think really was a smart literary move on, on Filson's part, even though when you, read, when you read the book and when you compare it to um, you know, Daniel Boone's you know, letters that he wrote to members of his family and friends and so on. Um, you you quick, quickly get a, a sense that this is a, a literary embroidery uh, rather than a, a, what we would think of today as, as, a, as a kind of um, objective reportage. 
Well, Dr. Smith, let's get to the uh, the subject. <laughs> uh, it's all fascinating. Um, yes. But let's get to the um, the title. Talk to me about uh, the reinternment uh, in the Frankfurt Cemetery and tell us uh, the facts behind the, and the detail of uh, Daniel and Rebecca being first buried in Missouri. Yes, well, of course, uh, Daniel and Rebecca Boone are synonymous with Kentucky. And to the extent that probably most listeners would assume that they were, uh, you know, buried in, in Kentucky soil. But actually, uh, the, the couple left uh, and, and traveled west to Missouri in uh, 1799. There's some speculation about, uh, you know, the exact timeline, but uh, more or less never returned to the Bluegrass State. And so when they died, uh, or at least uh, I should say, um, Rebecca Boone predeceased her husband, but when uh, Daniel Boone died at the age of 85 in uh, 1820, um, he was buried in a very obscure location called Two Creek, uh, Missouri, or Missouri, as you would probably have, have said. Um, and uh, the reason, I think the, the, the fascination of how he ended up in Missouri is actually, again, um, this, this mythology of the frontier, the idea that, uh, you know, curiosity is natural to the soul of man. Um, and that, uh, you know, that uh, the, the, the wanderlust got to him and he, he just had to uh, move with the frontier. Um, the real reason, uh, the, the much less romantic reason that uh, the, the Boones, and I, I guess there were several reasons, but the main reason that they moved uh, to Missouri was that uh, Daniel Boone actually had some pretty significant uh, business debts, financial debts and, and credit problems. Um, and like many Americans at that time, one way to escape your bad debts was by moving west, uh, in this case to Missouri, which at that time, this was actually still, at uh, the time he moved there in 1799, uh, was actually still part of the, uh, the Spanish-controlled uh, Louisiana Territory. So he's actually moving outside of the United States. Um, so when he dies, um, he, he is you know, buried in this really, uh, I don't want to say a pauper's grave, but uh, an obscure burial ground in, in Missouri. Um, alongside his wife, they're buried alongside each other. Um, and then it wasn't until uh, the 1840s, in fact, um, that uh, he was uh, reburied actually in 1845, re-exhumed um, and reburied. And part of the reason for that is, of course, the creation of the Kentucky Cemetery, um, the state cemetery in the capital uh, of Frankfort, Kentucky. The, the cemetery itself was consecrated in 1845. And the uh, legislature of the Commonwealth of Kentucky wanted to have a, a big ceremony to, to mark the consecration of this new burial ground. Um, and what better way to do it than by, uh, you know, the, the interment of, by then, fully rehabilitated um, Daniel and Rebecca Boone, um, the two uh, iconic uh, figures of, of the Kentucky frontier. So there was actually a, a committee that was put together um, to, uh, you know, go out and basically dig up uh, the bones of, of uh, Daniel and Rebecca Boone, bring them back uh, to Kentucky. There was some controversy around it. Um, uh, and, and then to rebury them. Uh, and, and then, you know, so it, it's just, to, to me, I, I just found the idea of the burying and reburying of, of Daniel and, and Rebecca Boone to be such a powerful metaphor 
for, uh, as you say, for understanding um, their, their lives, but also the 200th anniversary of, of Daniel's death. Dr. Smith uh, will continue to tell us uh, this tale of Daniel and Rebecca Boone moving, uh, uh, moving from uh, Missouri uh, uh, to back to Kentucky, to Frankfurt, uh, right after we take this uh, pause and hear from our friends at Spalding University. The Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing offers students intellectual rigor, emotional support, affordability, flexibility, and community at the world's first certified compassionate university. From certificate to terminal degree, the programs at Spalding School of Writing foster lifelong writing habits and help you forge a lasting writing community. Learn more at spalding.edu slash school of writing or email school of writing at spalding.edu. Talking with Dr. Matthew Smith uh, from Miami University in Ohio, a uh, much um, uh, prolific uh, writer of uh, many articles, a book coming out uh, soon uh, in 2022 about uh, the architecture of uh, a religious landscape in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's written a piece in our Kentucky Humanities magazine, uh, which is uh, titled uh, Unbearing Daniel Boone. And we're about halfway through that fascinating story. Uh, Dr. Smith, are there any doubts? Um, were there questions on whether or not they got the real Daniel Boone and Rebecca Boone moved to Frankfurt. Uh, yes, so I think this is one of the great uh, known unknowns of history. This is um, something that we we know we don't know, but there is there is some level of of doubt. Um, but I also think you know, with all of these kind of conspiracies or um, ambiguities of history, we always have to uh, you know apply uh, Occam's razor a little bit. You know, a little bit of uh, skepticism. I think a lot of the the, the um, skepticism actually arose um, with uh, Dr. David Wolfe in, in 1983, who was the uh, forensic anthropologist for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And he actually wrote uh, a, a, an article in the New York Times in 1983, which um, poured, uh, you know, some, some sort of uh, skepticism on, on the question of whether or not uh, Daniel Boone, in fact, was buried in uh, the uh, the graveyard in in, Lex uh, in Frankfurt because you know there was the, the, qu the whole question of um, whether or not they'd gotten the right the right remains um, and his argument was was actually based on a, a forensic again he was a forensic anthropologist a forensic um, examination of a cast that had been made in 1845 prior to the reburial of, of Daniel Boone a cast of the uh, not not even the whole skull a fragment of the skull of Daniel Boone. And um, one of the, uh, the issues that arose, I think, that was, was, was kind of controversial um, was, you know, the, 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 the characteristics of the skull. Were they the characteristics of um, uh, Daniel Boone? Or as Dr. Wolfe uh, hypothesized, in fact, were they the, um, the, the, the remains of, a, of an African-American man? And he pointed to certain sort of phenotypical characteristics of the skull to suggest, uh, as we know, that in the, the burial ground in, in Missouri, 
that there were, uh, you know, white and black uh, Missourians buried alongside each other. Um, the remains were not particularly well uh, plotted out. Um, and uh, there had been uh, maybe some questions raised, perhaps by some of the, the folks in Missouri who were, were trying to cast aspersions on the, uh, the, 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 uh, the claims being made on, on Boone's behalf, um, you know, because in, in a way that there's kind of a cultural tug of war going on here between um, Missouri and Kentucky, you know, who, who lays claim to the, to the real burial of, uh, of, of Daniel Boone and, and by extension to his remains. Um, now, I think Dr. Wolf's um, article, although it was published in the New York Times and obviously received a great deal of media attention at the time, um, has since been uh, somewhat, uh, you know, kind of uh, questioned, um, particularly by his successor as, as the forensic anthropologist of Kentucky, um, Dr. Emily Craig. Um, and she's quoted as, as saying that the, the Boone cast was of negligible, negligible scientific uh, usefulness. She, she could tell it was a male, uh, and, but then she said, I would be very reluctant to make a determination of race. It was altered, it was fi filed down to make it look nice. As a scientist, I can't in good conscience make a determination. Um, and I, I think th there's a broader issue here of the way in which we, we kind of um, racialize history and, and try and, and also racialize um, questions such as, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the burial of, of Daniel Boone, um, his burial alongside um, enslaved African-Americans, the fact that, of course, Boone himself was uh, a slave owner at various points of his life, which would, would have added to the, to the irony. But I think part of it is really um, that the, the, the science of forensic anthropology, even to this day, even with, you know, our, our tremendous understanding of, of um, uh, technique, still has many gray areas, still has many ambiguities. And so I think the, the original, the sort of Wolf thesis in a way was a throwback to an earlier period of history where um, people in America and other parts of the world were obsessed with um, phrenology, which was the science of uh, measuring the skull and trying to determine a person's characteristics or, or even their spiritual identity by uh, the nodes or the bumps or the shape of, or roundness or smoothness or thickness of their cranium. Um, and I, I think, you know, what we now know is that this is actually a, a fairly imprecise science when we take it to that fine degree. Um, also, we were dealing not even with the, the original skull, but a cast of the skull and a, a partial fragment of the, of the skull at that. So really the, the evidence for um, there being another body in the grave that claims to be Daniel Boone is circumstantial at best. Um, and if not circumstantial, then certainly speculative. So um, I think, you know, Dr. James Clotter, who, who was um, consulted as part of the uh, process for this, this article, um, would err on the side of, of skepticism uh, with the, 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 the mistaken body thesis. Um, I think part of it was also there were uh, the involvement of Daniel Boone's family members uh, it were consulted and actually present during the um, ex exhumation of the original body in Missouri. Um, and so Clodagh's thesis is that it would really be very unlikely that um, so shortly after his, his death, you know, within a generation, that that knowledge of where the bones lay would have been lost. Um, so uh, it's, it, it's a nice story. Um, I think it was a nice hook for the article. 
Um, I don't want to, uh, you know, suggest to readers um, that I subscribe to the idea that uh, Boone's body um, has been mislabeled or misidentified. Uh, Dr. Smith, outside of the, the myth, uh, the folklore, um, the, the tales, uh, the, the, the songs um, that have been uh, written about Daniel Boone over these many, many years, the books that are still being written, what do you think the most significant event in Boone's life uh, contributed to the world or the state of Kentucky? So, um, I mean, that's actually a great question. Um, I think the during his own lifetime, the, the event that he was most famous for was actually the uh, rescue, the famous rescue of his daughter, uh, Jemima, who in 1776 had been kidnapped uh, by Shawnee Indians and uh, Boone raised uh, a rescue party, uh, which went off the trail for two days and then, uh, you know, sort of uh, ambushed the Shawnee and, and rescued Jemima. And that, that became kind of mythologized as, as the most famous incident of his life. And one that is actually, I think, uh, echoed in the, in the uh, memorial uh, gravestone in the Frankfurt Cemetery, where he's shown actually engaged in hand-to-hand combat with a Shawnee Indian. I think that's actually a representation of that um, incident. But I, I think actually when, when you ask uh, what was his real significance, um, I think, you know, actually as a, as a pioneer uh, for Richard Henderson way back in 1775, this was the founding of the Transylvania colony, uh, which actually preceded um, the founding of, of Kentucky. Um, Boone himself was one of the first uh, white descended, uh, you know, American colonists to uh, lay eyes on on Kentucky as far back as uh, the 1760s. Um, but in 1775, this is around the time of the Battle of Lexington and Concord, which of course is why um, the, the city of Lexington, Kentucky is named as it is. Um, but he sets out uh, to plat, survey and uh, trailblaze really what is the, the pre- precursor of uh, the, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, which is this um, extra legal colony, which had been founded by really a, a quite sharp um, speculator uh, in uh, Boone's home state of North Carolina, a guy called uh, Richard or, or Dick Henderson, as he was known. Um, and he used, you know, uh, the fact that Daniel Boone had already traveled to Kentucky, was one of the few people with the resources and the ability um, to go out into that kind of wilderness environment um, as a a kind of pretext to leverage this uh, Treaty of Sycamore Shoals, which had been also uh, signed in in 1775, which was a a rather, uh, to say the least, dubious land claim that had been negotiated with the Cherokee Indians who were one of uh, several Indian uh, nations who, who laid claim to um, uh, at least stewardship of the land in, in Kentucky. Um, and this was, you know, a very uh, fraudulent treaty, to, to say the least. Um, but what Boone does, I think, is, is, is quite significant in that, um, you know, he, he really kind of relates both the, uh, the sort of genuine pioneering aspect of, you know, the Long Hunter and the Trans Mountain experience to this other West, this West of the property speculators and, and folks like um, Richard Henderson, who to a large extent played Boone for all he was worth. You know, he, he was um, exploiting Boone's 
uh, know-how and um, skills for the sake of a, a very dubious um, land grant that was established as this uh, rather highfalutin uh, tr Transylvania colony, which of course survives in the name of Transylvania University, um, but was actually invalidated during the revolution by the uh, colonial legislature or the revolutionary legislature, I should say, of uh, Virginia, because they recognized the treaty that had been signed with the Cherokee had been fraudulent to begin with. And also the Cherokee did not have the rights legally to, to cede um, basically the, the Western half of, of Kentucky. Uh, but I, I think in terms of actually the material impact of Boone's life and his contribution, um, I can't think of anything more significant. I mean, he re really was blazing a trail. He was literally a pathfinder in that sense. Um, but it's also a, a sort of tragic story in a way, because I think it, it, it sort of speaks to the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the process of uh, colonization of the West um, being one based on um, speculation, based on uh, illegal fraudulent land claims and based ultimately on the uh, displacement of uh, American Indians. Yeah. Uh, let's not forget, though, Dr. Smith, that before Daniel Boone made his trek through the Cumberland Gap, Dr. Thomas Walker was there first. 1750, yes. And uh, he just didn't stay. And uh, Boone is given credit for forging his way through uh, where Dr. Thomas Walker uh, stopped and turned around and went back to Virginia. Yes, but Walker um, wrote uh, a very nice description of Kentucky, which is, um, of course, I think played towards the, the, the interest in the land and especially the game, he talks about, you know, the fat turkeys literally kind of dropping like cicadas from the, this is the tree. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Matthew Smith, uh, professor, scholar, uh, writer, and uh, contributor to our Kentucky Humanities uh, magazine this uh, spring with an article entitled Unbearing Daniel Boone. Sir, we appreciate it. And it was certainly uh, an interesting conversation and Good to get to know you and uh, look forward to meeting you in person. Well, thanks, Bill. It's been a pleasure and I've enjoyed uh, sharing my, my little insights into Daniel Boone. So thank you and thanks, thanks to your readers uh, and, and listeners. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.